This free program is paid for by the listeners of Redwood Community Radio. If you're not already a member, please think of joining us. Thank you. Well, thank you for that introduction, and uh, happy solstice to everyone who's listening. Um, as always, uh, the show will run from 7.30 to 8 o'clock with callers, and um, we want to try and make a habit of asking people where they come from, so just to get an idea of the demographics of the show. Okay, so uh, my name's Andrew Murray. Um, for those of you who perhaps have never listened to our shows, which run every third Friday of the month from 7 till 8 o'clock, uh, we're both licensed medical herbalists who trained in England and graduated there with a degree in herbal medicine. We run a clinic in Garberville where we consult with clients about a wide range of conditions and we manufacture all our own certified organic herb extracts which are either grown on our CCUF certified herb farm or which are sourced from other USA certified organic suppliers. I uh, carry on with the uh, age-old intro of we. Uh, my lovely wife is looking after our two-month-old baby, and uh, I guess for maybe another month or two, um, she'll be sitting at home taking care of our little girl. Okay, so you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor on KMUD Garberville 91.1 FM, and from 7.30 until the end of the show, at 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in with any questions, either related or unrelated, to this month's continuing subjects, of the heart uh, and also there's another article uh, Dr. Pete's just recently written uh, the cancer matrix so the number here if you live in the area is 923-3911 or if you live outside the area the toll free number is 1-800-KMUD-RAD that's uh, 1-800-568-3723 um, we can also be reached toll free on 1-888-WBMERB for further questions during normal business hours Monday through Friday well, before we get going with uh, introducing Dr. Pete to the show, we're once again very fortunate to have him on to share his, uh, his expert knowledge. Uh, I got pretty, pretty excited, <laughs> not that I don't believe, but pretty excited that suddenly in the last month, um, I think I probably received four uh, newsletters, part of uh, Medscape's uh, email uh, newsletter program. So... The thing that struck me the most about it was that I don't know how many people are listening now who have been long-time listeners or maybe have been just recently switched into uh, what Dr. Pete's been professing probably for the last 35, 40 years, that the saturated fats and the animal fats and the butter, etc., are the good fats and that the polyunsaturated fats, things like safflower, uh, linoleic acid, uh, any of the seed oils, cottonseed, hempseed, canola, etc., all the bad oils, uh, and fish oil, obviously, are one of those oils, because the main thrust of industry is to uh, propose these as heart-healthy and cholesterol-lowering, etc. Well, what do you know, folks? Um, Dr. Pete's always said that whilst truth races around the world, um, sorry, what a lie races around the world, beg your pardon, um, truth is just getting her shoelaces tied. Uh, and here we go. Forty years later, I got several articles from Medscape, and I just wanted to share them with you. 
So uh, the first article uh, from the British Medical Journal was the uh, use of dietary linoleic acids for secondary prevention of coronary heart disease and death. And I don't want to go on too long with these articles before we bring Dr. Pete in, but for the next five minutes or so, just quickly run through some of these. Uh, the advice to substitute the polyunsaturated fats for saturated fats is a key component of worldwide dietary guidelines for coronary heart disease risk reduction. However, clinical benefits of the most abundant polyunsaturated fatty acids, the omega-6 linoleic acid, have not been established. So in, in the cohort that was studied, they substituted dietary linoleic acid in place of saturated fats, and they found that it increased the rates of death from all causes, coronary heart disease and cardiovascular disease. And this was an updated meta-analysis of 430 patients in the, uh, uh, where have we got here, use of dietary linoleic acid for secondary prevention of coronary heart disease and death. And this was an evaluation of recovered data from the Sydney Diet Heart Study and updated meta-analysis. So the advice to substitute vegetable oils that are rich in polyunsaturated fatty acids, or PUFAs as they're known, uh, for animal fats rich in saturated fatty acids has been a cornerstone of worldwide dietary guidelines for the past half century. Now when this advice originated in the 1960s, PUFAs uh, were regarded as a uniform molecular category with one relevant biological mechanism, and that was the reduction in blood cholesterol, or so they said. Um, so this <laughs> this most recent uh, turn-up is just showing uh, for finally uh, you know, coming to pass that saturated fats are actually better for you than the polyunsaturates, and they've uh, shown this quite clearly in clinical trials. Well, another review was done by Steve Stiles, and this was also another Medscape article that I got uh, a few weeks back, and it was, it was entitled, Dietary Saturated Fat Has Undeserved Bad Reputation. Well, it's a fairly lengthy article, so I won't go into a lot of it, but um, some of the bullet points uh, were that the uh, evidence that potentially carcinogenic preservatives in processed meats as well as high heat cooking methods have influenced perceptions that red meat per se has adverse health effects. Um, how the preparation and cooking methods used for foods that are traditionally classified as saturated fat foods may be producing substances from PUFAs and carbohydrates in those foods that are promoting disease. I also stated that studies suggesting the positive health effects from dairy fat and tropical oils, both high in saturated fatty acids and therefore were discredited as unhealthy, and the uh, hazards of diets with increased carbohydrates as a result of being lower in fat in low-fat diets followed to improve health, especially cardiovascular health. So again, another good article there. It's, uh, it's, it's a fairly long article, so if people uh, want to check this out on the web, just type in Medscape, uh, good fat versus bad fat, I think one of the titles of the articles is. Uh, there was another uh, article in the European Heart Journal, that the dietary intake of saturated fatty acids, or it's about the dietary intake of fatty acids, uh, saturated fatty acids, and the incident of stroke and coronary heart disease in Japanese communities, uh, which are famous for consuming fairly large amounts of the polyunsaturates, especially in fish oils, saying that saturated fatty acid intake was inversely associated with age, sex, and energy-adjusted incidence of risk for total stroke, total and deep intraparenchymal hemorrhage, and a ischemic stroke. So saying that all of these things, these cardiovascular disease uh, etiologies, were all definitely higher in people that consumed less saturated fat. So again, another article proving that the saturated fat that uh, 
Dr. Pete's been a proponent of for 35 years or so is true, and that actually the uh, liquid oils and especially the fish oils are very bad for you. Uh, there was a uh, another article, <laughs> and this again, this is something else that Dr. Pete's uh, pretty keen to bring out as a, uh, a good uh, dietary uh, substance. So coffee. Uh, I know Dr. Pete likes coffee for its magnesium content, but uh, there's another article here presented uh, by the European Society of Hypertension in 2013 during their scientific sessions. It was uh, actually published June the 18th, 2013. Uh, Green tea and coffee may guard against stroke. Chocolate nudges down blood pressure and new meta-analysis. And coffee versus heart failure, a few cups per day protects. So I know Dr. Pete's always pushed coffee as being a good source of magnesium and another good antioxidant type um, food. And then very lastly, before we uh, introduce Dr. Pete here, the uh, food supplement that was linked to lower prostate-specific antigen in prostate cancer patients was a a mixture. (laughs) They called it pommy tea. And uh, the main components of it were broccoli, green tea extract, pomegranate uh, and the other product um, gosh was the other product was hmm, well those were the, those were three and there was four in it but they were um, turmeric that was it turmeric okay so they found that this mixture significantly lowered prostate specific antigen compared with placebo in a study of uh, 400 again 420 patients with prostate cancer in a double blind placebo controlled randomized trial so again, uh, Dr. Pete's always mentioned uh, things like the antioxidants and the flavonoids as being very beneficial components in foods, and that's why he's so behind food uh, as a medicine rather than you know supplements and um, drugs, etc. And he's very much behind getting your uh, dietary dietary medicine from food. Okay, so uh, enough of me. Let's uh, introduce Dr. Pete. Dr. Pete, you're on. Yes. Hi. Hello. Thanks. For, thanks for joining us. So, so what do you th- what do you think then for 30 years of telling everyone that saturated fats are good, good for you, and probably getting a lot of people laughing and doubting and and just casting casting aspersions on what you uh, bring into light? Uh, how do you feel about some of these things that are now coming out? Um, I am not sure what the um, <laughs> motivation is exactly because the information has been sitting around for 50 or 60 years. Uh, it, it's, uh, I guess um, uh, someone has uh, slipped on their public relations for the uh, fish oil and PUFA, uh, letting this stuff leak through into the media. Yeah, it's certainly a big industry, isn't it? I've, uh, I've seen some of the numbers that are touted as uh, generating income for fish oil uh, sales, and they're pretty staggering. Okay, so Dr. P, I don't want to um, let you carry on without just introducing yourself and your um, professional background so people that perhaps have never heard uh, your name can hear a little bit about your education and then we'll we'll get going on the show. Okay, Um, in the 50s and 60s I had uh, taught various places um, in humanities mostly, but 1968 to 72 I uh, returned to graduate school uh, intending to study brain biology, but I f- found quickly that the uh, nerve and brain uh, department in the university was uh, among the most dogmatic molecular biology, genetics, and brain studies were highly dogmatic. So I shifted over to uh, the 
physiological chemistry of aging and the reproductive system for my thesis. Okay. All right, very good. So I remember last um, last month um, the topic was the heart, and um, again linked linked with heart health, the uh, common medical misconception that the saturated fats are the cause of uh, blocked arteries, for want of a better word, uh, and other cardiac um, uh, illnesses, um, certainly is not founded in terms of research um, that's done, but uh, yet seems to be the common theme. Uh, on the lips of most people from what they hear on the radio or television adverts, etc. Um, you see a lot of uh, stuff in the medical literature that is spreading the propaganda line, and superficially it, it presents itself as uh, science or uh, research on the effects of, of the fats on the animals and so on. But when you read it closely... Uh, it's just like a, a, a professional trick in which they compare things that they know or should know to be extremely toxic against the thing they want to sell and say, see it's less toxic than, than this other thing. Uh, but since it's common knowledge that the other thing is uh, uh, just a powerfully toxic, Anything compared against it practically will look beneficial. Right. Um, that's just a, almost a trick of the trade. <laughs> just, just, to, just to keep selling a uh, a, uh, a pretty profitable product, especially uh, the fish oils. That I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine. Well, I do imagine why the industries do what they do because ultimately things that are waste products, uh, when they're turned into a profit. Um, uh, a profit uh, or profitable product. Yeah, uh, some of the bad research is just carelessness. For example, for uh, about thirty or forty years, people referred to lard as the saturated fat, and and then they would use some uh, middle of the range of a vegetable oil, canola or something, yeah. and uh, show an advantage to the, the vegetable oil over lard and say lard, the saturated fat, <laughs> has these disadvantages. But during this period, they were feeding the pigs uh, corn and soybeans to fatten them because specifically of the high uh, unsaturation of the food. And so lard was uh, an extremely highly unsaturated fat, but they were uh, hundreds and hundreds of research papers compared it using it as the so-called saturated fat. Hmm. Hmm. Okay, we're, we're talking talking about um, fats and um, cholesterol again. Then, the uh, what do you what do you see of the the harmful effect of lowering cholesterol um, relevant to heart failure? Um, uh, cholesterol. Uh, as far back as uh, the 1920s, probably earlier, uh, was identified as a major uh, protective defensive molecule. For example, around 1920, someone injected <clears throat> uh, half a dozen different toxins, heavy metals, uh, uh, snake venom, uh, infectious 
bacteria, uh, just about anything that was considered extremely toxic. And then they gave the animal a cholesterol injection and found that it antidoted all of those harmful things. Uh, and that has been repeated about every 20 years or so. Someone uh, repeats a similar experiment showing that it, uh, in any system you look at, increasing the cholesterol uh, improves functioning. For example, uh, injecting it into animals that are being trained, it improves their memory and learning ability. Um, it, it turns out to be a component of every part of, of a cell's uh, anatomy, the, the nuclear framework, the cell division apparatus, uh, the respiratory system, uh, everything. They talk about it as a membrane component, but it's really everywhere in the cell. Right. Okay, yeah, so it's extremely important. And I know that you've you, you consistently um, mentioned that... Um, a higher cholesterol is a lot better and a lot safer for you than a low cholesterol, and that there's much more damaging effects of low cholesterol than there is high. Yeah, I've I've known several uh, doctors and such who uh, deliberately kept their uh, cholesterol down and bragged about having 100 or 120 milligram percent cholesterol, and uh, I don't think any of them lived much beyond 40 years. <laughs> Whoops. Whoops. Okay, so um, just for the listeners, I know the uh, um, cutoff point on most uh, LabCorp, for example, blood tests, um, give 200 milligram um, as uh, the cutoff point at which they start prescribing statins, which have also, and it reminds me, that's also another article that appeared in Medscape in the last month about how damaging the statins were, and they're the uh, artificial cholesterol-lowering uh, drugs that are used to counteract so-called high cholesterol. So... Uh, the, one of the Framingham studies found that over the age of 50, people who didn't have higher than 200 uh, on the cholesterol were more likely to uh, have dementia, showing a protective effect right. for the brain. Right. So that's what, you, that's what you've, uh, you've said many times now. So people over 50... They want the cholesterol around 200, and actually to to lower it artificially with statins, which is what happens uh, when a doctor sees that on some someone's blood work, is actually far more damaging to them than to have it at two 220. Yeah. Okay. So, um, what about? Because um, I know you're also a very big uh, proponent of um, thyroid as a an energy. Uh, energy molecule, if you like, as, as part of an undergirding framework of m metabolism in the body, because everything, everything that happens in the body costs money, I guess, in a, a way to put it simply. And that thyroid hormone is the currency with which a lot of these transactions are uh, met with. So in terms of low thyroid and um, muscle weakness, um, do you, do you generally see muscle weakness as a part of a kind of low thyroid picture? Um, yeah, and the, um, the, there's a very close connection between polyunsaturated fats and uh, it, it's inversely related to thyroid function at every level. Um, if you take one particular function of thyroid, the uh, formation of the hormone or the secretion from the gland or its transport through the blood or its action on the respiratory or uh, 
genetic system in the cell, each of these functions decreases as the unsaturation of the fat molecule increases. And so the, uh, the low thyroid, which um, allows muscles to fatigue more easily simply because uh, energy isn't being produced by respiration at the, the necessary level, um, as the muscle is fatigued, uh, it activates processes that uh, try to provide more energy, but in doing that, they liberate uh, fats from storage, so they become free fatty acids. Uh, this not only further suppresses the thyroid and the energy production, um, but it uh, starts an inflammatory process uh, so that the, the muscle instead of just becoming fatigued and uh, working less, uh, shifts over to becoming inflamed and breaking down. And uh, sometimes uh, the muscle breakdown uh, can kill a person. Uh, that's one of the side effects of the uh, cholesterol-lowering drugs. Hmm. There we go. Okay, folks, so uh, statins are bad for you. Higher cholesterol is good for you. <laughs> so don't forget, saturated fats are also the good guys, not the bad guys. Okay, so you're listening to Ask Your Web Doctor on KMUD Garville, 91.1 FM, and from 7.30 till the end of the show at 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in with any uh, any questions related to oh, the heart, cholesterol, saturated fats, uh, and uh, later on uh, we might get into some of the uh, latest article on the cancer matrix, matrix that Dr. Pete's written. Uh, if you live in the area, number is 933 or if you live outside the area, there's a toll-free number, which is 1-800-KMUD-RAD. Okay, so um, that, again, the misconceptions um, surrounding the, uh, the, the endurance training uh, style of aerobic exercise uh, is just not unhealthy, but it's, it's pretty damaging, isn't it? Um, yeah, um, one experiment uh, with uh, just walking fast on the treadmill uh, to keep the heart rate up to about 120 or less, um, they found that the liver's production of the active thyroid hormone uh, decreased radically in less than an hour of that kind of exercise. Mm. And uh, if the person is very healthy, the thyroid will bounce right back from that kind of stress. But if their tissues are loaded with the uh, thyroid-suppressive fats, that much exercise liberates the fats and keeps the uh, thyroid from recovering quickly. Okay. Because just remind me, you... you, um you are in favor of a, someone's resting heart rate to be around um, 80. Uh, I know that you don't agree with um, aerobic exercise because you say that that's, and for that's a reason that you just brought out, is, is damaging. Um, but yet you prefer a person's heart rate to be between 80 and 100. Um, yeah. Uh, one experiment that got my interest about uh, 30 years ago or more was... Uh, uh, looking at the uh, school performance of, uh, I think it was high school kids, and their heart rate. And they found that the, the ones that had the highest grades averaged an 85 uh, beats per minute at rest. Uh-huh. 
and the average uh, around 70 were the lower performance uh, students. So um, how about these people who, um, who maintain that low heart rate is a sign of health and the people that um, you know, go jogging or they do marathon running and they have, you know, a pulse of maybe 50 or, or even lower sometimes and uh, just say that they're incredibly fit. What, what, do you, what do you have to say about the people that have that kind of heart rate with that kind of exercise? Uh, in general, that very slow heart rate correlates with very slow everything. Uh, sperm production, for example, is usually very low in those endurance runners. Okay, so not not very healthy to have a low heart rate. Much much better to have a uh, a uh, metabolic energy production that's uh, more more up in the 80s or or even a little higher. Keeping yeah, everything going. The, some of the drug companies are doing some trick research to uh, make it look like it's better to have a lower heart rate. But what they're doing is including people with heart failure, and when your heart is in the process of failing beats more weakly and so it has to beat more often hmm. and so when you include uh, people with heart failure uh, then you see that uh, those with a fast heart rate are about to die okay uh, now again this caught my attention because I was I was always taught that um, heart muscle cells uh, they're called myocardiocytes, but the heart muscle cells, I was always taught that they were finite uh, and that any any heart exercise purely involved a uh, localized uh, swelling, if you like, a hypertrophy uh, without uh, an increase in cell numbers. But new, new research is showing that stem cells uh, are able to create new heart cells and have been recognized. So how, how does the effect of thyroid hormone uh, promote this? Um, well... Uh Partly it, it uh, keeps the cells alive, but um, if, as long as the heart cells are able to uh, respire using sugar, using glucose, and producing carbon dioxide, uh, the, any, any uh, muscle cell in the heart that is uh, damaged will be replaced by a recruited stem cell maybe coming in from the blood or another part of the heart, which in the presence of the thyroid and the, uh, the good environment of, of plentiful glucose and carbon dioxide uh, will mature into a muscle cell. But if the cell is blocked by these uh, free fatty acids, uh, which interfere with the use of glucose, then the the cells of the heart produce lactic acid, and lactic acid is a signal to produce collagen, and the stem cells arriving uh, get that kind of signal from the environment of the sick heart and turn into fibroblasts and produce connective tissue. So the heart becomes progressively fibrotic and less uh, contractile cells. And in experiments, uh, they've produced uh, two kinds of, of uh, heart enlargement, uh, one in which the heart simply works harder, uh, like uh, when, when you take more thyroid, it pumps harder and pumps more blood, or if you block the output of the heart by having 
what produces high blood pressure, uh, you create more resistance, and that causes the heart to enlarge. But the the stressed, plugged-up heart uh, enlarges by producing more collagen and and becomes fibrotic. But the enlarged heart that has uh, uh, developed with um, increased function and thyroid uh, provision uh, is a, a good muscular functioning heart. And uh, when animals have been uh, caused to um, develop an enlarged fibrotic heart with the other type of uh, uh, heart interference, then giving them uh, T3 uh, over a period of time causes the fibrosis to regress and be replaced by good functioning heart. Hmm. Um, And that kind of animal research uh, has been uh, somewhat indirectly applied to a people uh, preparing cadaver hearts for uh, donation for transplants. And they, they found that if they gave the uh, donor heart uh, before they removed it, if they uh, provided T3 uh, to uh, have it ready for removal and transplant, uh, the transplant was much more successful. Wow. Wow. All right. That's interesting. So you're saying that T3, just to, just to recap, the uh, you mentioned that T3 was antifibrotic. Um, yeah, in, in the liver, uh, yeah. heart, every place it's been studied, uh, it uh, helps to reverse the uh, fibrosis. Wow. And how do you understand that mechanism being? Um, I, I think uh, developing good new tissue uh, uh, stem cells, and keeping the environment low in lactic acid and high in carbon dioxide uh, allows the differentiation to go in the right direction. And uh, organs and tissues are always uh, trying to break down and, and uh, renew the, the uh, extracellular matrix, uh, which is where the collagen mm-hmm. uh, fibrosis exists. Uh, that that's always being broken down and, and replaced uh, in the thyroid-deficient, stressed person. Uh, the uh, replacement becomes worse than it was, but with adequate thyroid and nutrition, uh, the fibrosis is replaced progressively by more functional tissue. Right. So Go ahead, go ahead. Doctors, I'd like to, to jump in here if I could and do some bottom-of-the-hour business and open the, the phones up to callers because okay. we had a number of callers and I told them to call back after the bottom of the hour. So I just want to give you guys a second to catch your breaths and uh, we'll be right back with the, uh, Dr. Pete and the Herb Doctor. Support for KMED comes in part from Golden Dragon Medicinal Syrup, an anti-inflammatory, antifungal, antibacterial, antioxidant medicine made without heat or ice. Golden Dragon Medicinal Syrup is organic, edible, topical, cosmetic, and water-soluble. Information is available at Golden Dragon Medicinal Syrup at gmail.com and by phone at 707-223-1569. And Kmud thanks Jessica Baker of Jade Dragon Acupuncture for her support of Redwood Community Radio. Practicing traditional Chinese medicine, Jessica treats conditions ranging from psoriasis to post-traumatic stress. Located at 607 F Street in Arcata, Jade Dragon Acupuncture can be reached at 
4300. So I want to uh, remind you that the Herb Doctor is opening up the phone lines now. Uh, our number locally is 707-923-3911. And uh, if you're out of the area, 1-800-K-MUD-RAD. Um, so the phone lines are open. I see they're starting to ring. I have one question for you, uh, uh, doctors, from a caller. Uh, a lay person wanted to know if you could give a lay description of what saturated means in saturated fat. Oh, I'm sorry. There we go. All right, you guys are back, and I'll get the phones. Okay, Dr. P, did you hear that question that the uh, uh, the engineer has just asked about uh, describing saturated fats to a caller in a simple term? Um, uh, the fat is a chain of carbon atoms and uh, they're covered with um, hydrogen atoms and if you remove some of those hydrogen atoms on on the uh, typ- typical uh, middle of the chain carbon, there are two hydrogens and if you remove uh, those from uh, uh, some of the carbons, that's unsaturating it. It just means uh, if it's saturated, it means it has all the hydrogens attached that it can hold. And polyunsaturated means that you've got more than uh, one uh, set of carbon atoms with uh, a double bond of electrons between the carbons lacking uh, the hydrogens uh, where the carbon, uh, where the hydrogens had been filling every possible space. Right. Okay, and the other thing, um, just to bring out, that saturated fats are easily identified more or less by having uh, a characteristic of being fairly solid at room temperature. And, yeah, and that doesn't apply at all to the, uh, the living state uh, right. where we live at uh, 98 <laughs> or 99 <laughs> degrees. Uh, those fats aren't at all more... more uh, if we're rigid in any way, but uh, there's a whole literature that uh, talks about them as if they stay stiff when they're at our, our body temperature. Prom- promoting but, the uh, ideology that they're bad for you, right? Um, yeah, yeah, and in fact, each carbon in a saturated fat is free to rotate uh, uh, against its neighbor, and the removal of the hydrogens creates a stiff bond between those carbons. So actually... The, in the polyunsaturated. The free, yeah, the yeah. polyunsaturated is less free to rotate than a saturated fat. Do, do you think, just quickly, before we have three callers, but do you think quickly that that makes the cell, for want of a better word, cell membrane, less fluid? Um, or is there no real... Well, uh, yes, in fact, the, the fact that the uh, highly unsaturated fat is easily attacked by oxygen means that the fats on the surface or wherever they are very quickly tend to um, attach chemically to adjoining proteins. And so uh, when you look at it in the right situation, you see that the uh, polyunsaturated membranes are often very rigid because of oxidation attaching them to the protein underlying them. Great. Thank, thanks for that explanation for that listener. We have uh, three callers, so let's take this first caller on the air. And if you'd uh, just say where you're from. You're on the air? 
Yes, I'm uh, from Piercy, from Mendocino County. Okay, very good. I uh, lived in the Humboldt County area for 41 years. I'm 66 years old. Uh, Andrew, thank you very much. You are God sent, and I think Dr. Pete is a prophet of the medical profession. He sure is. <laughs> I've been I've been listening for for uh, quite a few months now uh, on your program, and uh, the problem I have is not related to heart, but what I have is. 66 years old, I've had four major military surgeries and had all but eight feet of my small intestine removed. I have a double ostomy, which means my small intestine and my colon comes to the outside of my body uh, using a prosthetic uh, bag for uh, defecation purposes. Mm -hmm. Now, Donatol was a product I was taking to slow down my peristaltic action. What was the name of it? Uh, my peristaltic Sorry. action so fast that I dehydrate all the time. Donatol is not, not, not available anymore locally here, at least. It's uh, Belladonna, of course. And uh, I had been trying atropine, which didn't help at all either. Hmm. So what I'm doing right now is my physician has me on hydromorphone. Oh. And, of course, you gentlemen know that opiate yeah. derivatives oh, uh, <laughs> slow down the peristaltic action causing constipation, which is what I need. My peristaltic action slowed down. Is there anything herbal, possibly, that I could take or any other medicine that you know of that would slow my peristaltic action so that I do not dehydrate and have to go into for, for uh, liters of uh, bringer's lactate. Sure. Okay, well, um, Dr. Pete, if you have anything to mention, I've got... <laughs> yeah, um, have you tried uh, antihistamines such as ciproheptadine, which is both anti-serotonin and antihistamine? No, sir, I haven't. I didn't. Uh, uh, I didn't think of that. Neither is my doctor. An antihistamine to slow down peristaltic bowel action. Uh, uh, yeah, they have a, a slight uh, belladonna or atropine-like side effect. I uh, see. And what's that called again, sir? Uh, uh, one which is both anti-serotonin and antihistamine is called ciproheptadine. C C. I think it's C Y P O, or is it C I P R O? C-Y-P-R-O, HEP, H-E-P-T-A-D-I-N-E, Ciproheptadine. Yes, I have it down, gentlemen. <laughs> I want to thank you very much. And by the way, uh, for some reason, my mother knew that mono and polyunsaturated oils were the basis for uh, lacquers, uh, paints, and varnishes. <laughs> That's right, exactly. <laughs> Before... Uh, they discovered that crude oil was a, was, a, was a cheaper base for those things. And she she informed me at a very young age to, to only use butter, olive oil, or, or coconut oil. And I've been telling these organic hippies in these hills for years to quit eating organic poly and mono and saturated oils. And they tell me, well, it's organic. And my argument is, Rattlesnake venom is organic, too. Do you think that's any good for you? Yeah. Good evening, well, gentlemen. Thank it, you very much for your help. You're very welcome. It's, it's unfortunate, you know, we're just brainwashed, and you can't help but uh, understand how people can be led astray. It's not their fault, perhaps. It's just the medical industry and the industries around that, that industry that are so powerful uh, financially have such vested interests in doing what they're doing that they don't fail to continue the propaganda that it's, you know, their liquid oils are good and polysaturated fats are bad. Okay, so on a, on a very quick note for an herbal perspective, um, 
as a uh, uh, an astringent that would be classically the description of a product um, in the bowel that would help uh, loose watery stools which is certainly what you sound like you're talking about uh, so there'd be uh, astringents whether they're gentle astringents or something a little more uh, tannin rich uh, tannins are the things in teas that c- tend to dry or pucker your mouth up but uh, tannins are used for diarrhea and there's, there's many different uh, classifications of uh, astringents that could be used internally perhaps okay so there's uh, two more callers on the line so let's get this next caller and uh, find out where they're from hello hi you're I'm on from here. southern humboldt southern humboldt okay welcome to the show so you were talking about um cholesterol levels earlier and i, I wonder what you think of high cholesterol you know uh, hdl versus ldl and mm-hmm. how important that is and what people need to do then if you think it's important to keep the balance appropriate Okay, Dr. Pete? Um, both of them uh, are anti-inflammatory, and uh, uh, that's part of the, the protective effect is the protein which carries the cholesterol itself has a very important biological effect, uh, defending against things that would irritate and inflame. But uh, it, it, some of the studies have shown that uh, there's a close correlation between high HDL and uh, some of the inflammatory diseases such as cancer uh, because uh, it rises defensively uh, against exposure to to those uh, chemical irritants. So uh, the uh, level of HDL or the proportion of the total cholesterol uh, partly is just reflecting how stressful your environment is. For example, uh, drinking too much alcohol will raise your HDL. Uh, Being exposed to too much of the uh, fish oil uh, type of uh, irritation or uh, peroxidation will raise your HDL defensively. So you're saying... Again, the opposite of what we hear from the medical establishment. You're saying the HDL is the bad cholesterol? Uh, no, mm-hmm. no, it's defensive, but right. uh, th- having it high doesn't necessarily mean that you're uh, in a, a, on a good <laughs> diet program right. because just just drinking too much liquor can raise it. I see. And so if I got my blood tested and I had a certain ratio, what ratio would you say is? It's kind of a, a good sign. It, I don't think it, uh, it is as simple as that, but uh, two or three to one is is usually reasonable. Two or three LDL to one HDL. Yeah. Thank you for your information. Okay, so uh, there's another caller on the line, so let's take this next caller. You're on the air? Hello? Hi, you're on the air. Where are you from? Uh, Blocksburg. I have a speakerphone. Is it bothering it? Uh, I know I don't hear it, so... Okay. I have a couple of questions for, for you and the doctor, and number one is uh, you're doing a great job. Uh, I'd like uh, the doctor to describe the, fun- uh, the function of the lymphoid gland in the jaw area and what function it is, and is it dangerous to have a CAT scan in that area? The function of the what? Uh, the function of the lymph gland, or the lymph... Is it lymphoid? Lymphoid tissue, is it? Yeah, do you mean lymphoid tissue, the kind of uh, the lymph that can come up under the angle of your jaw when you have uh, tooth infection, say, or uh, tonsillitis? Uh, 
yeah, the, the glands in there, I guess they consider their glands. Yeah, maybe the parotids or the, not, well, they're not their lymphoid, but. Hello? Yeah, could you, did you hear that, Dr. Pete? The uh, caller's wondering uh, about the connection between uh, swollen lymph and whether or not CAT scans uh, are safe. Oh, oh, well, definitely CAT scans are not <laughs> safe. Uh, the the um, that amount of radiation is known to uh, have a permanently uh, inflammatory action, and uh, uh, the more of them you have, the more certain it is that there will be some lingering damage from them. Mm-hmm. Um, but the swollen lymph glands uh, sometimes it can just mean that you're being exposed to allergens or possibly foods that you're uh, somewhat sensitive to. Uh, oh, it's very common in the spring uh, to uh, have a, a period of uh, several of the lymph glands around the uh, throat and, and neck to swell up because of uh, uh, air pollen and, and uh, uh, possibly uh, changing foods from the season change. Yes, uh uh, am I still on? Yeah, you're on. Did you hear that? Um, this, yeah. I had this little knot uh, for about four years now, and I, I went to the doctors, and they said to just keep an eye on it. It's better just to monitor it and, and watch it and make sure nothing happens. And then just recently, maybe within the last four or five months, it's like a little uh, a little extra um, has developed on the side of it and starts swelling the side of my neck. So I went and had a sonogram, and it's, seem to have um, some hard tissues there and stuff and they want to get they want me to go in and have a CAT scan and so I felt I needed to talk to somebody an herbalist or something so is there some herbs or a diet that can can uh, reduce the swelling in this area um, if it's hardened that suggests that it might be uh, becoming cancerous uh, so uh, I would think that Doing a biopsy would be reasonable if, if it's actually hardened uh, over what it has been previously. Mm-hmm. It's grown about twice the size, and I, I they put me on antibiotics, and the swelling has has gone down. And then I stopped the antibiotics for about hmm. a week, and then it, it continued to swell back up again. Oh, and then I oh, went back. That's a good sign. What area is it in? It's underneath the jaw, the corner of the jaw area, and they said it's a very sensitive area, and there are other glands, a saliva gland in that area, and they haven't been able to uh, detect exactly what it is. Um, if an antibiotic made it go down, uh, yes, it I, would, I, I would just keep uh, trying that line of uh, approach and uh, maybe have a, a raw carrot every day to, to uh, help uh-huh. to clean out your intestine. Uh-huh. Um, now, uh, we went to some of the uh, herbal places, and they gave us a couple of uh, various things that I don't have a list for them now to cleanse your blood and to cleanse the lymph gland. Is, is that a good idea while you're taking antibiotics? Um, uh, uh, eating a fiber like a raw carrot every day uh, has an antibiotic action, and uh, uh, you have to know which herbs uh you're working with because some of them could increase inflammation. Okay. 
there, there are definitely things like um, Galium Aparini, which is cleavers. Uh, definitely fresh juices of that was very well indicated for uh, lymphadenopathy, as, as is uh, poke root. A poke root is extremely strong, and you definitely don't want to use too much of it because it has a very narrow spectrum of, uh, of uh, activity beyond being toxic in its own right. Um, and obviously things like uh, Smilax Sarsaparilla is used as a lymphatic agent, uh, and blue Blue flag, the uh, iris versicolor is also a good lymphatic uh, agent. So they oh. may well be worth uh, you trying them. Could I make a, a recommendation that the the collar massage that area? Because you can you can sometimes push those uh, lymph obstructions through if you work on it. It's your body, and you can manipulate it however you like and destroy that thing. Get it through, work it through your lymph system, and uh, make it pass on and get it out of there. It's not harmful to touch it or, or put uh, mild pressure on no. it. No. Okay. Well, well. Thank you very much, and your and uh, you guys do a great job. This is really good for the community, and uh, I am in a Blocksburg area and hear you very well. Thank, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I would uh, definitely go easy before you start putting too much pressure on it, for sure. Um, okay. There, there's definitely some trains of thought that would also say that that in its own right might cause uh, an irritation locally. So, um, yeah, take it easy. But what Dr. Pete's saying uh, initially is good advice, antibiotics. Uh, a lot of gut-related things can show themselves in uh, lymphatic swelling. So the fact that it's in the mouth, you know, it's part of the GI tract, uh, may well be uh, relevant to the fact that some food or allergen, either you know aerosol allergen or edible, may may be causing it. But yeah, okay. okay. So thank you for your call. Thank you very much. We do have a couple more callers on the line, so let's give everyone a chance here. You're on the air. You're on the air. Hello? Yeah, you're on the air. Hi. Uh, good evening, Andrew and, and Dr. Pete. Oh, where uh, thank are you, you from? Take my call. Um, my question huh. was uh, generally about uh, the idea of stealth that is hard to detect pathogens in the body, um, like Lyme, mm-hmm. and et cetera. And I was, I was wondering, Dr. Pete, what you, what you think about those uh, as maybe the root cause of such ailments as, as uh, chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia? Um, specifically, uh, chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia are so closely related to nutrition and the hormones. I think um, the mysterious infections are uh, over... Uh, diagnosed. Uh, some doctors specialize in them uh, because they're good business uh, if, if you uh, have to treat them for months at a time. Uh, but if you think you might have been exposed uh, to something like that, uh, a good course of the right antibiotics uh, should clear it up in maybe two or three weeks. Can there be uh, I, I in, in many of your recommendations, you, you talk about uh, diet and, and several other things. I was wondering if ever uh, there are cases with uh, stealth pathogens in which maybe like a catch-22 situation that they, they are somehow preventing the thyroid from, op- from functioning optimally, and so uh, the thyroid can't then eradicate them? Uh, well, the, the just ordinary bacteria, uh, any of dozens of different kinds of bacteria living in the small intestine, it should be sterile. Uh, this, this great range of bacteria in the intestine will cause uh, enough toxicity to interfere, uh, uh, mixed with everything else, with, to interfere with your thyroid function. So keeping the intestine clean is, is the first 
step. And that's increasing the increasing the transit time, or sorry, decreasing the transit time, so you excrete waste more regularly. And then you always mentioned, I know, raw, raw grated carrots. So for people that are listening, the, the main reason Dr. Pete's uh, promoting daily uh, daily serving of raw grated carrot for people that have issues, especially GI, um, is that the uh, carrots themselves have a they're indigestible, number one, so you don't digest them, they pass through you, but they have a very uh, very defined sweeping action on the bowel wall, uh, basically either dislodging, removing waste, and or uh, absorbing excess and removing excess estrogen, which is one of the... Uh, one of the yeah, components. there have been uh, some experiments with either antibiotics uh, in the intestine uh, will uh, lower estrogen and cortisol, and uh, increase the protective hormones. Carrots do the same thing. Uh, apparently, uh, both antibiotics and carrots are working by lowering the endotoxin absorption. Uh, the carrots actually carry away uh, a lot of the estrogen, which otherwise would be recycled, reabsorbed, and passed through the liver again. Good. So just another reminder, folks, that good old carrots. If, uh, I remember what Dr. I'll never forget what Dr. Pete said about carrots as well. You know, if you've got carrots in the bottom of your refrigerator, they can be there for months and they're very hard to break down. So, but they're also very good at uh, having an antibiotic action in the gut. So let's, uh, we've got one or two more callers. So let's take the next caller. We've got two more. So let's see how we can uh, get through that. Uh-huh. Hi, you're on the air. Hi. Yeah, I do have a cholesterol question, but first, um, that fellow who had the lump, um, you know, you, you were saying that if it was uh, hardening, that he should probably have a biopsy to make sure that it's not cancer, and that was kind of glossed over. And, um, you know, I mean, uh, he can do all kinds of things, but if it's cancerous and he's not addressing that, I mean, cancer can be cured much better when you catch it quickly. So don't you think he should have a biopsy anyway, even though he's going to do other things? Well, if, if it softens and seems normal after taking an antibiotic for a few days, that means pretty well that it wasn't. Oh well, I, I thought that he just said that it, uh, yeah, it wasn't. Um, it, it went down and then it went back up again. But the hardness, I don't know. I don't know that it softened. He just said it got smaller and then it got big again. Yeah, the, the hardness is is a very accurate way to diagnose. They found that uh, when doing breast cancer surgery that just feeling the lymph nodes in the armpit, they can diagnose accurately just by whether they're hard or not, whether there's cancer in them. So you're saying if you took the antibiotic and and it and it uh, the swelling went down, it wouldn't do that if it was hard in cancer. Um. Yeah, it would stay hard. Okay. Okay. Would it stay the same size? Oh uh, no, no, it it could get smaller, but uh, if the Part of it is hardened and cancerous. Uh, it has a like a, a mesh of c- compacted uh, collagen surrounding the cells, uh, which are becoming defective. And that collagen uh, takes uh, days or weeks to uh, soften up when it's being cured. Mm. Okay, so you don't think he needs a biopsy? Okay. Um, well. Um my question is, my daughter recently had um, a blood workup uh, thing, and it says that her cholesterol is uh, 264. Now, I know um, I'm very well aware that we're 
cholesterol-phobic and that it's okay for it to be over, you said around 220 is okay. But is 264 a little bit too high? Uh, how old is she? Uh, she's uh, in her early 40s. Um, yeah, I think uh, that's probably just expressing low thyroid function. Uh, the cholesterol is the precursor to several of the protective hormones, pregnenolone, progesterone, and DHEA. Well, she's had thyroid problems, and uh, she's going to get reevaluated to see if she's on the right level of medication because she seems to need to take thyroid. I think her, her thyroid doesn't produce yeah. enough on its own. As your thyroid function goes down, your cholesterol goes up in a defensive reaction. I see. Uh, trying to keep the production of those protective hormones up. And oh. so when you take thyroid, you start turning cholesterol into the good stuff, and so the cholesterol goes down. So she just needs to address the thyroid and then take it from there, and it will probably balance. Uh, yeah, and uh, temperature and pulse rate and uh, appetite and quality of sleep are good indicators of thyroid function. Okay, uh, and you don't think that, that eating butter, you know, like and, and beef fat uh, is going to clog your arteries? Do you think that that's not true? Uh, no. No. Uh -huh. I have to jump okay, in again. Sure. Uh, Thank you. Doctor, right. the, uh, Sarah has called in and, and she's afraid you haven't made it completely clear of which are the polyunsaturated oils and which are the saturated oils. I thought you've been pretty clear about it tonight. Okay, Dr. Pete, let's hand it over to you to quickly uh, define the polyunsaturates then. And I, we've only got I two will, minutes to go. Then I will uh, make sure people get your information and thank you very much. So just define the polys for us. Um, yeah, if you just name some of the popular ones, um, mayonnaise is almost always highly unsaturated, uh, corn oil, uh, safflower oil, um, uh, hemp seed oil, yeah, yeah lin linseed oil and fish oil, yeah. uh, and olive oil contains about 10% of the uh, potentially dangerous polyunsaturateds, but it has so much of the monounsaturated uh, that it's relatively safe. And all, all the seed oils are the same thing, right? Um, yeah, olive Honestly. oil is a, a fruit oil, <laughs> technically. Okay, so. let, let me hold you there. Thanks so much for joining. It's been a great show. We've had to cut off at least four or five callers, so let me give you details out, if you will. Okay. Okay. Okay, so uh, Dr. Pete can be uh, reached on his website, www.raypeat.com. And uh, we can also be reached on uh, 1-888-WBM-HERB, uh, Monday through Friday, uh, for any help. Uh, okay, so happy solstice to you all. Thanks for listening. Uh, we'll have another show the third Friday of next month, and we'll have Dr. Pete back again. And uh, thanks so much for joining us, Dr. Pete. We really appreciate you. And okay, uh, obviously, you. you've heard lots of people who are wanting to get their questions in. Good night. It is, wow, poppy in here. It's uh, 8 o'clock and 71 degrees here in Redway, home of the greatest radio station on the planet. This one right here, Redwood Community Radio, KMUD Garberville, 91.1 FM. KMUE, Eureka Arcade, 88.1 FM, KLAI, Laytonville, 90.3 FM, and down in the cold. 
$1.99 and a half. Support for Kmug comes from the Teal Community Center, presenting the 29th Annual Reggae on the River on August 1st through the 4th at the original Prince's Camp venue featuring Julian Mar Marley, Taurus Riley, and Morgan Heritage, and over 60 craft and nonprofit uh, vendors, Kidlandia, and weekend camping. Tickets and more at ReggaeOnTheRiver.com or 923-3368. And financial support for Kmud comes from BLAP Productions presenting Northern Lights Music Festival July 19th, 20th, and 21st. Please remember that this program is supported by the listener members of Redwood Community Radio. If you like what you hear, please consider becoming a member of KMUD or renewing if you've already joined. A regular yearly membership is $50, but we accept any amount. Help us keep free speech alive.